Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. Today we are in chapter 8, part 2. Last week we, or last episode rather, we dealt with what does it look like to truly hear the words of God. And we talked about if you hear the words of God, you will do what He says. You will take care to make sure you're getting more of God's Word so that you can be filled with God's Word, and so that you can enter into this true family. And we talked about that at the last little part when his parents and his, his mom and his brothers are there, and they desire to see him, and he says, who are my mothers and my brothers except those who hear the word of God and do it, which means hearing and doing the word of God, following Jesus properly, enters us into a true family of God that is unique and special. And now we enter into the second part of this chapter where we have four miracles And we have these two themes emerging from these four miracles. We have, in the first two miracles, the theme of fear running through them. Uh, The disciples will fear the storm, and then they will fear the one who calms the storm. Then they will people will fear the demoniac, and then Jesus will heal him. He'll be sitting in clothes in his right mind, and they will fear Jesus and ask him to leave. And then we jump to the last two miracles, which are sandwiched together. You start with a synagogue leader whose daughter is sick, and then you have a woman who has struggled with a sickness for 12 years, and it is their faith. It is faith that heals them. So we will look at this theme of fear and this theme of faith with these four miracles. So, they get into a boat, verse 22, and he, that's Jesus, told them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake, and so they set out, probably like they've done a million times before, because they were fishermen by trade, at least most of them were, and as they were sailing, Jesus fell asleep, and then a fierce windstorm came down, as it so often happens on this lake in the Sea of Galilee, and they were swamped, and they were in danger. This is a serious storm, and by the way, don't make light of these storms. Even today, they happen quickly, and they they can become very deadly. Boats went down, especially in this time, and as fishermen, as fishermen, they knew the stories of people who did not survive those storms, and they were caught in one, and the winds and the waves were carrying the water over to the side of the boat, and it was getting in the boat, and things were getting bad. They were afraid. They feared. And they came to Jesus, and they said, Master, Master, we're going to die. Their fear is, at this moment, in the storm. Their faith is nowhere to be found. And then he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And so they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, what sounds kind of out of place, where is your faith? Well, their fear was not in him at this moment. It was in the storm. They feared the storm, and they woke up Jesus. Perhaps they realized he's the only one who can save them, but they said, Master, we're going to die. I mean, it was almost a given. Wake up. You're going to die with us all the same. And Jesus says, where is your faith? And they were fearful And amazed and asking one another, again, this question Luke has been asking, who then is this 
Who then is this? Their fear goes from the storm, and then it jumps to Jesus and saying, man, if that storm was as bad as it was, and we thought we are for sure going to die, and yet Jesus stands up, and with one word, it's done. It's calm. The wind and the waves obey him, and they fear Jesus perhaps even properly now, fearing the one who can calm the winds and the sea. And understand this idea of fearing God is not new to Scripture, and it's not always seen as wrong. They, don't, they do not fear him in an inappropriate way. The Old Testament talks a lot about fear God. Now, that's not a fear that is paralyzing. That is not a fear that causes us to run away. It's a fear that I think C.S. Lewis captures really well in his Chronicles of Narnia, where they're talking about Aslan, and and one of the girls asks, is he safe? And and the person talking says, I think it's Mr. Beaver, it's, it's been a while since I've read it, says, is he safe? No, he's a lion. He's not safe, but he's good. And we have to remember, as we approach Jesus and as we approach God, we need a proper level of respect and fear. He's like the lion. He is a lion. He is dangerous in that sense, but he's good. He is all good. And I'm not saying we should be fearful to approach Jesus. In fact, quite the opposite is true. But we should have a healthy amount of respect that he is not our buddy. He is not our equal. He's not our bro that hangs out on the weekend. God is not Santa Claus, nor is he a lottery machine. God is the creator of the universe. Jesus is God in human flesh who can calm any storm with a word because he upholds creation moment to moment. And we, as followers of him, have the privilege, the opportunity, and the blessing to approach him and and draw near to him. Take a moment and just think about the awesomeness of the fact that Jesus the upholder of all creation, moment to moment, is upheld by him, as Paul says in Colossians, desires us to follow him. He desires to draw near to us, to be near to us. But as we consider that, we do so with respect, because he's not our equal. He's our superior who longs for us to be near to him. That's amazing. And when we see here that they fear Jesus, and they ask the question that many have been asking, who is this? And now it's not, this time it's not, who is this that forgives sin? They've already asked that question. They said, who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? I mean, think about the awesomeness of the fact that the winds and the waves obey him. They are mindless, they have no brain, but yet they obey. It is us, people with brains and thoughts and and high intellect that often struggle, by the way, to follow and to obey God's voice. Let us be more like the winds and the wave in this story, to seek the one who can calm the storms of this world, because ultimately Jesus is the only answer to the storm that is called sin, that will kill you if you do not go to him and ask, who is this? This is the one that everything obeys him. He can forgive sins. He can calm the storms. He can heal sickness, raise the dead. He is the one in which we will put our fear, but also our faith. And Jesus asked him, where's your faith? It's not in me. Put your faith in me. 
And then he lands on the other side. And this is a Gentile region that's significant because the miracle he is about to perform, the second miracle, is not done for Jewish people, but for Gentiles, those the Jews hated. And it says, verse 26, Then he sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which was the opposite of Galilee. And when he got out on the land, a demon-possessed man from town met him. Now, he had worn no clothes. He's naked. And he didn't stay in a house, but he lived in the tombs or the graveyard, if you were to put it into the modern equivalent. And when Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Notice how this demoniac, this crazy man with no clothes, living in tombs, scratching himself with rocks, falls down before Jesus and says, Son of the Most High God, he recognizes, the demons recognize who Jesus is. And I want you to to lock in that the wind and the waves obey Jesus. There's a reason to put your fear in Jesus, not the wind and the waves. Even the demons fear Jesus. They fear him. Don't destroy us. Don't torment us. They have to ask Jesus in the following verses for permission to leave that man's body. This, by the way, is a man that you could not chain. They they had tried to lock this guy up and with chains and shackles and guards, and he would break out, and he was unstoppable. He was uh, abnormally strong for a person, and yet he's falling down before Jesus, begging not to torment him, because the demons ultimately fall under the submission of Jesus here. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, because there were many demons that had entered him. Verse 31, and he, and they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. And a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him to permit them. They're asking Jesus for permission to enter the pigs, and he gave them that permission, so they they do. They go out of the man, enter the pigs, the herd rushes down into the steep bank, into the lake, and are drowned. Now, why did all of that happen? I have no idea. It is a very odd part of the story, for sure, uh, that there's these pigs on a hill, the demons enter them, and they drown themselves in the water. It's an odd story. Demon-possessed pigs in general are quite an odd facet of scripture, but it's in there, and, and these demons, but don't miss the point, don't don't miss demons submitting to who Jesus is and to his authority, not the pigs running into the water demon-possessed, right? We often focus on that because that's an oddity, but we need to catch that the demons are submitting themselves before Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the catch in verse 34, when the men who tended them saw what happened, they run off into the town, and they bring people back out with them. So we skip a few verses here. And in verse 35, then the people went out to see what had happened, because these people, the herdsmen told them what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they found the man that they would have recognized, who had the demons, and the demons had departed from him, and he was sitting at Jesus's feet, dressed and in his right mind. They've probably never seen him, or at least it's been a long time since they have seen him clothed and in his right mind since the demons first entered him, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because here's the man that shackles could not hold, and yet he is sitting down before Jesus in a posture of submission, and Jesus is teaching him. The man that no shackle could hold is now 
sitting there, wholly captured and captivated by Jesus, clothed in his right mind, demons gone, problem for them solved, and they're afraid. Their fear is in Jesus, because this is the man who shows up, and he cast out all these demons, and the, the pigs have been destroyed as well, and that's a loss of economy. And yet this man we couldn't contain is also in his right mind. Who is this? And they fear him. And and you get that, right? You would understand that. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered, that Jesus had this conversation and cast out the demons. And then all the people of the Gerasene region asked Jesus to leave them. Now, this is in stark contrast to how many of the crowds have responded to Jesus. Jesus performs a miracle. They're excited. They want him to stay. Here they go, no, leave. You have this power that scares us. You caused us a loss of economy with the pigs dying. Please leave. And he does. But the man from whom the demons had departed begged earnestly to be with Jesus. But Jesus leaves him as a witness. He says, go back to your home and tell what God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the whole town how much Jesus had done for him. He becomes one of the first missionaries who were Gentile telling the people how Jesus had delivered him, proclaiming the glory of God to the Gentiles. Jesus returns back to the Jewish area on the other side of Galilee, and he is going to continue his ministry as well. And we have this sandwich, this ABA, this sandwich miracle that happens next. And it says, when Jesus returned, that's to the other side. The crowd welcomed him. So one crowd rejected Jesus, and then one crowd was waiting on him, and they welcomed him because they were all expecting him to come back. And just then, a man named Jairus came. Now, he was the leader of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, humble submission here, and pleading with him to come to his house because he had a daughter who was only about 12 years old, and she was dying. Now, here's an interesting observation that I want you to make. The daughter is 12 years old. The lady that we are about to meet who's been suffering with this bleeding problem has suffered with it for 12 years old. So I'm 12 years. not 12. So the girl is 12 years old who's dying. The woman who the miracle of touching Jesus' robe and she's healed suffered for 12 years. And Luke actually brings out that detail that both of them are 12. Are 12 years suffering, one's 12 years old. That's not insignificant because Luke takes time to point out the years. But let's let's continue here. And while he was going to heal this girl, now we remember earlier, by the way, when Jesus was approached by a centurion to heal a servant who was about dead, Jesus does it from a distance. Jesus could have healed this girl from right where he was, but he's going to go with Jairus. And while he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. They were pressed against him. There were so many people, they wanted to be close to Jesus. And a woman suffering from bleeding for 12, there's that year again, 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors. She had no more hope left, nowhere else to go, and yet could not be healed by any of them. She approached from behind and just touched the end of his robe. Compare Jairus, who falls at his feet and says, please come with me. There's nothing wrong with that. He knows where to go. He's humble before Jesus, but he says, come with me. You, you, you have to be there. And yet you have this other woman who approaches Jesus and just says, if I can just, just touch his robe, 
I'll be healed. And, and, and she does. In verse 44, um, the bleeding stops, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Now, this is a little comical, because again, we just read the crowds were crushing him, they were pressing in on him, they were all touching him, because they were so close to him, everybody's bumping up against Jesus, and Peter catches this, because they all deny, I didn't, I didn't touch you. Peter says, Master, the crowds are, are hemming you in, they're pressing up against you, why, why would you ask, why would you ask who touched me? Who, who didn't, right? Who, who wouldn't have? It's a silly question. You know, and so Jesus said, no, someone did touch me, and I know that power has gone out from me. He, he can feel that a, a person was healed. Now, I find this interesting, too, verse 47, when the woman saw that she was discovered, no, she wasn't discovered. Everybody denied it. It's interesting that Jesus asked, it, it's very similar to Adam and Eve. God's in the garden. He says, what have you done? Where are you, Adam? Oh, I'm hiding. Sorry, we're hiding, God. Why? God knows they're hiding. He knows where they are. He knows what they've done. Jesus knows who touched his robe. He's asking that they might come forward. So the woman, I feel, realizes that even though everybody's denying it, she could just join the chorus of denials and be hidden. She realizes she's not hidden. She's discovered. It's almost like Jesus might have even been looking at her going, and power went out. And it's almost like he was saying, I know that's you. She comes forward trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all the people and declared the reason that she had touched him and that she was instantly healed. And he says, daughter, your faith has saved you, has healed you. Go in peace. It was your faith that approached me, your faith that reached out to touch just the back of my hymn, knowing that's all that you needed. That has saved you. Your faith in me has saved you. Your humility in approaching me has saved you. Your understanding that I am your only hope has saved you. Only a completely surrendered humility before Jesus will save us. Nothing else will do. Now, what's interesting is, remember, he is going to a man's house to heal a girl that might die. He is taking time right now to heal a woman and to find and to talk to this woman who was suffering with bleeding for 12 years and whose life was not in danger. You might even point out the fact that it seems a little harsh. You have a distraught father, a dying little girl, and Jesus is going to take time to question who touched his robe and to talk to the lady who did. And you would almost be in the crowd going, shouldn't you be hurrying up? This girl could die any minute. It's interesting, he's in no rush. He heals this woman who's been suffering for 12 years, and he's going to continue to go to the house of the 12-year-old girl who's dying. And and so he, he has this conversation, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And now while he was still speaking, likely to the lady, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter's dead. What terrible news for a father to receive. Your daughter's passed away. Don't bother the teacher anymore. All hope is over. She, she didn't make it. He didn't make it in time. He was too busy talking to this person who, you know, could have been healed later on, or he could have just kept going and not worried about it. But he stopped, he paused, he, he said, go in peace, and he's talking to this lady, and now your daughter's dead. Don't bother him anymore. Don't bother. He's, he, it's over. It's too late. And when Jesus heard it, he looks at the man and says, don't be afraid. Well, he had every reason to be afraid. My daughter, who I've loved for 12 years, who I've cared for, who was sick, and who I've asked you to come and heal, has died while we waited for you. I have a lot to be afraid of. It's a dark future for this father. 
But Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. Now, if you were the father, you would almost be thinking, believe in what? She's dead. It's too late. I believe that you can heal people, but it's too late to heal my daughter. She's gone. The crowd's even telling me, don't bother with it anymore. But Jesus says, and she will be saved. How can this be? She's dead. They continue to his house, and after they come to the house, he, he let no one enter except for Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother, almost because the rest of them didn't deserve to see what was about to happen. And everyone was crying and mourning for her, and he said, stop crying because she's not dead. She's only asleep. And they laughed at him, and I'm sure the father might have laughed with scalding tears coming out of his eyes because he realizes I'm laughing because it's so silly. She's asleep. No, she's dead. Because look, first century people were not stupid. They understood death. They understood once you died, you died. There was no, like when Jesus healed people and raised them from the dead as he is about to do, they they did not understand that as like, oh, like, you know, death is not, you can you can rise from the dead. No, they understood when you're dead, you're dead. You don't rise, dead people don't rise. They understood that in the first century. They were not stupid. This man and his wife, they're laughing. Why? Because she's dead, Jesus. She's not asleep. Don't you know the difference? Because they knew, and it says, and Luke even adds the detail, and they knew that she was dead. They knew that she wasn't asleep. They knew Jesus is saying that she's asleep and he's wrong because she's dead. And so he took her by the hand and he called, child, get up, just as you would do in the morning. You would walk up and go, get up, wake up. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. Because, see, for Jesus, death is no thing. Death is not permanent. Death is but the doorway into eternity, yes, but also death in Jesus' eyes will be destroyed because he came to destroy sin and to destroy death, which is the byproduct of sin. And he says, no, it, yes, she, she's dead, but it's like she's sleeping, and I'm going to wake her right up. And her spirit returns, and she gets up at once. There's no delay. She immediately rises just like she was asleep which had to be astonishing. And he even says, give her something to eat. Why? To prove she's not, A, a ghost, because ghosts don't eat, and B, not a zombie. She's eating fish. She's alive. She's speaking. She's talking. She's back. Her parents were astounded, as I think any of us would be. But he instructed them to tell no one what happened, which is an odd little facet as we end this chapter today, that he would tell these parents don't tell anybody what happened here. Well, it's going to be hard to explain. Yeah, my daughter was dead. Now she's walking around. Because I think what he's saying is you don't need to tell people that she's going to be the witness to that when she walks out of this room. And Jesus does have this thing where he tells demons to be quiet, where he tells people he's healed not to tell them, tell everybody. They often do, and the crowds get bigger. But here we have Jesus saying, and we, we have this theme of faith. I want to lock in on that. The first two were fear. The fear of the storm moved to fear of Jesus, the fear of Jesus healing this man that caused him to depart and them to reject Jesus. You see, fear can cause us to say, who is this? I want to follow him. And fearing Jesus can cause us to reject him as well, because sometimes it's costly. It cost them their economy. They lost their pigs. That's money lost. And then we see this theme of faith of Jairus coming to Jesus going, you're the only one that can save my daughter. This woman going, he's the only one. If I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. 
of a sickness that's been 12 years in the making, and it's gone instantly with just a touch. And it's her faith that heals her. And again, Jesus tells the father who is grieving for his lost daughter because it was too late, he says, don't fear, have faith, believe, have faith. She's going to walk again. And she does. It is faith that saves us. It is faith that raises us from our spiritual death. And it is faith in Jesus that will one day raise us from death itself. And we will walk again in a new body on a new earth with our Savior and our King. What a great thought to end chapter 8 of Luke. Thank you for joining me and Rooted Together. And I look forward to joining you in chapter 9 next time. I'll see you there.